0: a few days ago was National Plan Your Vacation Day. Well, I actually had been working on that the day before. I was looking at our road trip that we're planning on doing this year. Last year, we went down south, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, and went up to Kentucky and then east to Delaware and then up to Western New York where we're originally from. This year, we're looking to head in the opposite direction. We're gonna go up through Kansas and Nebraska and Wyoming to Montana, and then come back through Idaho, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, and a little bit of Texas, and then back home again. It'll be a lot of miles, but there's a lot to see. We're going to go to at least three different national parks, if not more, and see some natural wonders. We'll see some cousins when we're up in Montana. Uh, But we enjoy taking road trips. Uh, a lot of people don't. Uh, they would just soon fly from here to there and back. And, and a lot of times it's less expensive uh, by the time you figure gas and meals and motels and all that. But we just enjoy seeing our country and seeing how other people live. and uh, Getting off of the, the main highways, uh, except when we get around cities, uh, because we've seen some things that probably not too many other people have have seen that are from those areas. But God's creation is beautiful, and I think we should all see as much of it as we can, whether it's in the United States or in Europe or Africa or Asia, wherever it might be. Uh, I think we should uh, try to see as much of it as we can. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for your creation and how different it is from place to place and how beautiful it is from place to place. And so, Father, I give you thanks for the opportunity to be able to do the things we want to do and ask you in advance for your blessing as we plan and get ready to do some of those those things. But, Father, I just... um, Give you thanks for the creation of people and how we are all different too. And we're all beautiful in our own ways. So Father, as we look at your word, Lord, let us see what you've got for us. Because we know that we never look into your word and come away empty. Because that's just the way you've planned it. If we're looking for you, we'll find you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you use the King James Version of the Bible, which... I'm not condemning, Uh, I seldom use, but there's many words in there that most of us don't use, like uh, altereth and comforteth, uh, troublest, uh, sacrificeth, uh, goest, these and thou's, and blessed. Um, It's not just King James, but there's other words that we seldom use, too, like heretofore and uh, moreover and wherefore and long suffering, and even the word sin we don't hear uh, very often uh, don't hear it outside of church much at all so i'm going to give you a chorus from a contemporary christian song and i want you to try and find the word that i'm going to use for this message okay because it's it just really stuck in my mind and so I, I wanted to just kind of expand on it. But the chorus goes like this. Hallelujah, nevertheless, was the song the pain couldn't destroy. Hallelujah, nevertheless, you're my joy, invincible, joy, invincible, joy, joy, invincible, joy. Well, that was easy, right? Invincible, no, and invincible. Hallelujah, no, when hallelujah. Nevertheless. I don't know why, but like I said, that word just kind of stuck in my mind when I heard it in the song. And so I thought, you know, let's look up in the dictionary and, and see what it says. Okay. It says it's a funny looking adverb that appears to be made up of three words squished together. Nevertheless, it means even so or all the same. <clears throat> Some synonyms uh, is in spite of that, or in spite of everything, nonetheless, even so, however, still yet, uh, for all of that, despite uh, after everything, having said, you know, so you kind of get the point. Uh, so, where do we find, nevertheless, in the Bible? Well, of course, that depends on what version of the Bible you're using. The The more modern the version, the fewer times that you may see it, uh, but using the NIV, that's what I'll be using, uh, I think, for everything today, uh, there was a lot and more than I expected. I didn't count how many, but throughout the Old and New Testament, that it, it was just kind of all over the place. And one thing that is true in, in most all of the cases uh, is it's the the first word in the sentence. Okay, so this is Second Samuel five. Uh, David has become king, and as a king, he's getting ready for battle because that's just what kings do, or did at that time, anyways. And so in Second Samuel five verses six and seven, it says this: the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. Okay, the Jebusites, they were pretty cocky. Okay, you know, the are blind men and, and the lame, and they didn't say it there, but, you know, probably even the women, you know, they could ward you off. It's kind of like saying, you know, your NFL team, you know, even the Jacksonville Jaguars could beat you. Or the NBA, you know, Orlando Magic would be able to whip you. In Major League Baseball, you know, you would lose even to the Baltimore Orioles. Okay, and there's other teams out there too. Now, in my case, when I was in school, uh, we had a lousy football team. I know I've talked about it before, but I'm sure that, you know, most teams were getting ready to play as to say, yeah, it's, it's only Ripley. It's only the Ripley Eagles, you know, big deal. You know, anybody can beat them. And that was pretty much true. But David was going against what seemed to the Jebusites, it just that it was impossible for them to lose. I mean, the, the Jebusites thought there's no possible way that David can beat us and we'll lose the city. Well, David didn't care what the enemy had to say. Okay, this is one of his first battles as king, and so the Jebusites might thought, you know, this new guy, you know, he's he's nobody, you know, he hasn't been tried. And so, you know, we're not going to be concerned about him. Well, verse 7 gives us the outcome. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion. In spite of the threats, in spite of uh, having heard the, the confidence of the Jebusites, be that as it may, after everything the Jebusites had said, nevertheless, David won and captured the city. Now let's look at some more nevertheless. So here we are we're with Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness and the Israelites are complaining. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Well, Moses goes to the Lord. And in Exodus 16:12 this is what it says. God answers him and says, "I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Okay, so then David, or excuse me, God gave Moses instructions about the bread and the manna. In verse 16, it says, Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. You okay, know, an omer was about three pounds. Okay, so he was supposed to take an omer for or three pounds of the manna for each person that lived in the tent. Okay, verses seventeen and eighteen says Israelites did what they were told. Some gathered much and some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Okay, so far, so good, right? Okay, then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. (laughs) So Moses was angry with them. Okay, back there in verse 19, it could have said, Nevertheless, some of them paid no attention, you know, but it said, however, okay, verses beginning in verse 23, says, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. People were following God's directions. Well, not all of them. Okay, verse 27. Nevertheless, Some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Now, Moses had given them specific instructions. You know, gather twice as much as you need on the sixth day. Bake it, boil it, you know, whatever you're going to do with it, and save half of what you've gathered on the sixth day, because you're going to need that on the seventh day, because there's not going to be any there, okay? So Moses had told him that. Well, God was not happy. Okay? This is what God said. How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you the bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, going back to verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they didn't find any. After Moses had given the instructions, some people still went out in spite of the instructions, regardless of the warning, even though they were told, nevertheless, they did what they wanted to do. The next one may be familiar to some who are not even believers, because most people have heard the saying, the handwriting is on the wall, referring to something that happened and you could see it coming, okay? Uh, maybe, you know, you were trying out for a, a sports team and, you know, the, the coach wasn't giving you much of a chance to to do anything, you know. And so the cuts came and you were cut. And, you know, to you, the handwriting was on the wall. You knew you were going to get cut. Or the same with a job. You know, the boss is, you know, with everybody else and, and all and tell them what a good job they're doing. And, you know, he doesn't even know your name. And so they've got to downsize. Who's going to get downsized? You. And you saw it coming. The handwriting was on the wall. So that takes us to Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar had a big party, and things kind of got out of control. Okay, in verse 2, it says, While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Okay? Verse 4 tells us that while they were drinking and they were praising the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone, so they were drinking wine from these holy goblets and, you know, praising other gods. Okay? Verse 5 and 6 it says suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were walking, rocking, knocking. Excuse me. Now, that's maybe the same reaction that I'd have if you know I hand appeared here in this room where I'm sitting and started writing on the wall. Um, you know, I'd probably react just like Belshazzar did. Well, the king called for his enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to tell him what was written. and he he promised he said the one. Who could tell him would be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom that's quite a payday okay but verse 8 tells us that they all failed that nobody could tell him what it said so we go to verse 9 and it says so King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale and his nobles were baffled, okay, because, you know, he was hoping somebody could tell him what this said, and, you know, he's hoping for a positive thing. Well, the queen shows up, and she saves the day, and she tells him in verse 11, there's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that. Of the gods. Well, in verse 13, Daniel was brought before the king. Okay, in verse 16, the king tells him, You know, I'm going to give you purple clothes and gold chain. You'll be number three in the kingdom. You know, and this was Daniel's answer You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Now, what Daniel had to say was not good news for the king. Okay, beginning in verse 25, Daniel's speaking and he says, This is what the inscription that was written Mini, Mini, Tikal, Here is what the words mean. Mini has. It means that God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now, I imagine Daniel knew what the message was when he saw it. And he knew it was not something that the king wanted to hear. And so Daniel, he could have said, no, nah, I'm, I'm really not sure what that message is. You know, I've never seen this before. I, 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 I don't know what it says. Fearing what the king might do. You know, the king might say, well, you're bringing me this bad news, you know, off with his head. But nevertheless... He gave the king the message. And this is what happened in verses 30 and 31. says, that very night, King Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Daniel could have feared for his life. Nevertheless, he knew he had to do what was right. Okay, let's move into the New Testament. And... Paul, in his two letters to the church of Corinth, he had some pretty stiff messages for him. Okay, so in his first letter, uh, chapter 11, Paul's talking to them about their abuse of the Lord's Supper. Verse 17 says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your message, excuse me, for your meetings, do more harm than good whoa how'd you like to be told that you know if you know you belong to a denomination and the superintendent or the bishop or the whoever comes in and says you know your meetings here they're doing more harm than good okay so paul goes on to describe how jesus instituted the lord's supper and then paul continues like this starting in verse 27 He says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep or died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Okay. First of all, back when I was pastor, about once a year, we we had communion the first Sunday of the month, and then, you know, other times, special times as well. But as a pastor, about once a year, I would use this passage that would kind of lead into our time of communion, because there were some that needed a reminder that even though it was a time of celebration, it was also a time of reverence because there was some that, you know, they were some of the first ones to receive communion, then they'd go back and sit in in their pew. And, you know, it's not like there was hundreds and hundreds of people there. There was maybe, you know, 75, 80 maybe a hundred people at the most. And so, you know, they just got tired of sitting there and instead of reading their Bible or praying or whatever, they just start talking. And so I would have to remind them. Well, Paul was reminding the Corinthians of this as well, that it's a time of celebration, but a time of reverence. Now, but in 32, he's giving them some some good news, okay? Because he says, nevertheless, and he's kind of saying, even though you've been messing up, and the Lord is judging you because of it, this judgment will keep you from being condemned. In other words, God is trying to get you straightened out. So when the judgment day comes, you're going to be good. Okay. The book of Revelation gives us a lot of wisdom, much to think about. One key thing that John wrote about is the judgment of the seven churches. And this is what the church in Thyatira, was going to be told. Jesus says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Okay, now the Jezebel that Jesus is talking about is not the Jezebel of 1 Kings. Okay, apparently there was a woman in the church of Thyatira who called herself a prophet. And a lot of people were listening to what she had to say. And she was leading people away from the truth. So Jesus starts out this passage just like he did to the other six churches. You know, it's kind of like when you get called into the boss's office and he or she tells you what a good job you're doing. You know, your, your sales have been up or, you know, the things that you're doing are just really great. And then the boss says, nevertheless, you're doing these things wrong or you're not doing these things that you're supposed to be doing. Now, I don't think I'm the only one that's, That's happened to, maybe. Well, that was the problem of Thyatira. Okay, and it was probably not everyone in the church that needed to hear that message. But it was something that needed to be corrected, nevertheless. Okay, Paul's second letter to Timothy is something that we need to be mindful of. Okay, Paul is in prison, And a lot of people that were his friends uh, had abandoned him. Uh, Only Luke was there to kind of give him encouragement. And it's believed that Timothy was in Ephesus at this time. And he was hoping that Timothy was going to come and be with him. But Paul was also concerned about the churches. Okay, in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, he says this, starting in verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hyanimus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundations stand firm, Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So first, let me try to clarify verse 18 about the resurrection, where some were teaching that the resurrection had already taken place. Okay, it was taught by the Gnostics. That there was no physical resurrection of Jesus, that it was only a spiritual resurrection. And we know that that's not true. But some were teaching that, saying that, you know, that spiritual resurrection has happened. But there was never any physical, any body resurrection. Okay, now to nevertheless. When Paul says this, he's meaning, in spite of what's happening, God knows who the true believers are. God still knows who the believers are, because there's still many false teachers out there trying to pull people away from the truth. But God knows who the believers are. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for your word and uh, the wisdom that we can receive of from uh, scripture, from letters that were written to people that uh, were not doing what they should do, uh, going places where they shouldn't go and and acting in ways that uh, did not make them look like your children. And so Father, help us to realize that that's still happening today, okay? That there's still people that, that fall away from you and for whatever reason. So Lord, help us to be strong. Those that know you and love you, Father, help us to to hang on to the faith that we have and to to read, to study your scriptures, you know, to, to be involved in a small group and and get the, the strength from other believers and to to worship like we mean it, not just singing songs uh, and realizing that worship is more than just singing, that worship is something that we we do daily. And so, Father, help us to to know that and believe that. And Father, I lift up anyone that may be listening to this that doesn't know you. And Lord, to them you can say, "I know the things that you have done, the sins that you have committed, but nevertheless, I accept you as my child." So, Father, help them to pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And nevertheless, you sent Jesus for me. No matter what I've done, that I am forgiven because of the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help me to live for you and to love you in all ways. In Jesus' name, amen.